Amen. Well, good morning, church. So great to see each of you here this morning, and I am excited because today we are continuing week three of our vision series. We are looking at the vision we believe God has given us as a church to pursue, and so we're looking at each main pillar of the three segments or pillars, if you will, uh, of the vision statement, worship, walk, and witness. So what does it look like? What does it look like as a church for us to pursue this together? And so that's really what we're diving into. You know, January is a great time of the year uh, to really start thinking and analyzing a lot about the things that you're doing in your life. And so it's really no different as the life of a church, right? We want to think about, hey, how are we operating? How are we functioning what are we pursuing together as the body of Christ and what he has called us to do? And so that's what we're looking at uh, today. We're going to today kind of wrap up really um, the, uh, I should say, the adult part of this because next week is Next Gen Sunday. Our Next Gen ministry stands for the next generation. And so uh, next week is going to be a really, really unique opportunity for us to uh, just kind of talk about how we do church uh, for those who are 18 years old or younger, right? And it's just a really neat opportunity. So, so next week, uh, we're going to have all the preschool and kids up here. They're going to be singing for you, which is always great, right? So they're going to be singing for you. They're going to be helping leading us in worship next week. We're going to have some of our student ministry serving during the service and reading scripture and helping with the offering. So next week is Next Gen Sunday. Please, please be here next week. Uh, be here. Even if you, if you don't have kids, please come and support these kids. Man, they, they're working hard. They've been practicing their music and their songs, um, and they're excited to sing those for you next week. So we're really excited uh, to get uh, to next week and, and kind of see how uh, our, our younger generation fits into the overall vision of Kernan. Um, so we're, we're super excited about that. Well, let me pray for us, and we will dive right in. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful that we get to be here together. Lord, I'm just excited that we get to talk about your word and we get to see your truth and, and see who you want us to be as a church and, and what vision and mission you've called us to. So Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts today with motivation and encouragement, but most of all, truth and worship. Lord, let us worship you as we listen to the word, as we think about the mission you've given us as a church, Lord. Let it compel us to be so grateful and thankful for what you've given us, Lord, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So Lord, would you give us that gratitude and, and let it compel us to worship you even as we listen today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when you take the great commission of Jesus, we're gonna read that in just a moment, and that's what uh, Wanda read here during our scripture reading, during the singing. When you take the great commission of Jesus and that command to go make disciples of all nations. And then you look at the rest of the teachings in the New Testament about the church and what the Apostle Paul and Peter and others said about the responsibilities of a church that follows Jesus. When you take those two things and you put them together, you get the vision statement that we have adopted here at Kernan. Kernan exists to glorify God by making disciples who do three things, worship with authenticity, walk in community, and witness as we go. 
You see, the New Testament church did all three of those things. If you look at the first century, the first Christians, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, after he rose from the grave, they were diligent. They were serious about their pursuit of the mission of God. And so they worship together in spirit and in truth. They worship with authentic, genuine hearts and love and gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. They walked in community. They shared their lives together. They served one another. They put the interests of each other before their own. But they also were a witness. They went out into the world and made more disciples by sharing the good news of what Jesus had done for them. You see, the culture has changed over the last 2,000 years, to say the least. Society is so much different now in many ways than it was in the first century, but in many ways, it's similar. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to follow the teachings of Jesus in a world that doesn't love the Lord and doesn't love the Scriptures and doesn't see them as absolute truth. But here we are in the year 2023 as a church pursuing the truth of Jesus that does not change, that has been consistent through every human era, through every human historical event. The truth of Christ, the truth of God has never changed. So, so far in this series, we have talked about what it looks like for us as a church to worship our Creator with authenticity, right? The primary place we do that is here in the worship service. That was week one. And then last week, week two, we talked about what it looks like for us to walk in community. In other words, to grow in our faith as we walk with Jesus, but we don't walk alone. We walk with each other. We grow in our love for the Lord together. And the primary space that we do that here at Kernan is in our community groups on Sunday mornings at 9.15. That's where, we, that's where we get to know others in the same season of life as us. That's where we open our hearts and our lives to others and share. Share our lives, just like that first church did. But today, we're going to talk about the third, the final, but definitely not the least part of our vision statement here at Kernan. What does it mean to witness as we go? To be a faithful witness for Christ in this world, what, is, what does that look like? You know, often on TV, you'll, see, you'll hear or see a story about someone who was lost in a wilderness area and had to be rescued. And so they would send in, you know, all kind of a, a rescue teams and helicopters to try to find this person, right? Mostly what I see on TV in terms of rescue missions is Paw Patrol. Anybody can relate, right? <clears throat> Chase on the case, <laughs> But here's the thing, when someone needs to be rescued, you've got to get to them. You've got to get there quickly because you don't know the situation, you don't know what's going on. They need help. They're in a place isolated, separated from others. You see, the mission of God, it's a rescue mission. It really is. Why is that the case? Well. Here's the quick story, the version of it at least. You see, our creator God, he created a perfect world. He really did. It's not the world we see today though. You see, when God created the world, he looked at what he made and he said, it is very good. He set up humanity to thrive. He created a world in which we could flourish, 
where we could live with him in his presence. Do you know the first humans did that? The first humans lived in God's presence. They lived with God. Like how cool is that, you know? Hey, Eve, God, what do you want to do tonight? Like, let's say, you know, like it is so cool to think that they actually lived with God. But apparently that was not enough for them. They did not want to answer to God as the ultimate authority over their lives. They really, Adam and Eve, just wanted to answer to themselves, right? They wanted to be their own authority, their own boss. They didn't want to answer to no one. And so the design that God created for them to live in, the boundaries that were good and healthy for them, they wanted to step across those and take control, and that's exactly what they did. They rebelled. They rebelled against their creator who loved them, who wanted to live with them. But the thing about our creator, God, is that he is perfect. He is holy. That means he has no sin within him. He is only good. Only good comes from him. And so that means he is so perfect. He is so holy that he cannot be in the presence of sinful creatures. He cannot live in the presence of sinful creatures. And so the most terrible thing about the acts of the first humans in ancient times when they lived with God, when they rebelled against him, those first humans, Adam and Eve, the most terrible thing about that is that their sin, that's the word the Bible calls for an action or thought or anything we do that is outside of God's design, right? Their sin actually separated them from being able to live in the presence of God. And the even worse news is that we have all fallen short. We have all inherited that sin nature, that problem inside of us where we don't want to live within God's good design that he gave us. We want to be our own boss. We want to do our own thing. We want to step over the good, healthy boundaries that God gives for us to live in so that our lives could flourish. But we think we know a better way. Enter Jesus. I said God was on a rescue mission. God did not leave us without a way to be rescued. In fact, God himself came to earth to rescue us. Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully God and fully man, came to this earth in human flesh so that he could represent us and do what we could not do. He came to this earth to live a perfect life, the one that you and I should have lived, could not have lived. He did that for you. He died a death on a cross, and the reason he did that was so that he could pay with his life, with his blood, the penalty, the penalty for our sin that should have separated us from God forever. But Jesus sacrificed himself so that we could be forgiven of all the times, all the things, all the thoughts, all the actions we've ever done that go against God's good design, Jesus gave up his life in your place for you. It should have been you, it should have been me. But he did that for us. He rose from the grave. That's not the end, right? He rose from the grave. He defeated The power of sin, the power of death, it cannot hold him down. And for those of us 
who respond to the good news of what Jesus has done for you, for those of us who turn away and repent of our sin and rebellion against our Creator and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, Please be my savior. I'm, try, I'm tired of trying to save myself. I'm tired of trying to prove myself. I'm tired. Would you give me your rest? Would you forgive me of my sin and help me to love you every day and trust you and walk with you and live with you forever? That's salvation. But that's not the end of the story. After Jesus rose from the grave, you know what? He left the earth. Right? He was alive. He left the earth, though, and returned to heaven. But he promised something. He promised to return again one day. Now, that day has not yet happened. But when it does, right? So, so that day hasn't happened. So the mission, the mission is not fully complete. Because when Christ returns again, you know what he's going to do? He is going to make all things new. In other words, everything sad will become untrue. All the sin in the world that has corrupted our thoughts, our lives, our relationships, everything around us that is broken, Jesus will repair. He will make all things new. And those who have trusted Jesus in this life as their Savior will, guess what? Live with God in his presence forever as humans were originally intended to do. Do you see that? It comes full circle, doesn't it? God is bringing us back to the garden, if you will. He's going to bring us back to a paradise where humans can live with him only because of what Jesus has done in our place. What an awesome future that we have to look forward to, you know? Right? I mean, think about that. What an awesome future we have to look forward to. I mean, maybe your 2023 was getting depressed, right? The Jaguars are out of the playoffs and, you know, just things now don't look great, right? But look at the future we have. We're filled with hope because we look off in the distance and we see not the troubles of this world, but we see us living with God in perfect peace and with those who have also trusted him forever. So the question then, what do we do now? <laughs> like, what do we do in the meantime, right? Between Jesus returning and, and creating this new heaven and new earth that we get to enjoy and live with him forever, right? What, what do we do between now and then? That's a worthy question. Well, the answer may shock you. In John chapter 20, verse 21, listen to what Jesus told his disciples. He said to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What? God the Father sent Jesus to earth to rescue humanity from their sin. And Jesus is saying, yeah, so now I'm going to send you out to do that. Jesus is saying that the great rescue mission of God continues with his followers. He's delegating the mission to us? I don't know that we, do we want that? Do we want that responsibility? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, listen to this. 
Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, hey, that's some, that's some great assurance there. The power is not us. Right? It's, it's not, it's, it doesn't depend ultimately on our power. Thank God for that. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to Jesus. But look at this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city that they were in, and in all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding region, and to the end of the earth, the whole world. Apostle Paul later on, several years later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, said it this way. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors. Think of an ambassador, right? When you see a picture of the United Nations, everyone gathered around, who are those people? They're ambassadors. They represent their country that they're coming from. Paul says, that's us. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We're the vessel. We're the message. In this world, we represent Jesus. Whether you signed up for that or not, you do. If you are a believer, if you have trusted Jesus to be your Savior and turned to him, guess what? Then you are a representative of the kingdom of God. That is your country. That is your citizenship. And so everything you say and everything you do represents Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Again, whether you realize it or not, whether you're conscious of that or not, it's true. That can be a little scary. I don't know that, I mean, am I doing that well? Or are we doing that well? Or, I mean, sometimes I lose my temper. Sometimes I say things that I don't mean. And I don't know. Are we doing this well? It's difficult, isn't it? Let's keep, let's keep reading. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gave even more specific instructions about this mission of God that you know we're ambassadors, we represent him, we're called to share the good news of Jesus with others in this world and, and in hopes that the Holy Spirit will grab a hold of their hearts and, and rescue them from their sin. And so he says, go, therefore. Right? Don't sit on the sidelines, don't sit on the couch, but go. Be proactive. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations. Don't exclude anyone, any type of person, any type of socioeconomic status, any type of ethnicity or race. Don't exclude anybody, but go therefore and make disciples of everybody in the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what? Do we just leave them be and say, all right, great, thank you for believing. We'll see you later. Good luck. No, teach them teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I'm going to let you do this by yourself. No, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, see the scriptures. Do you see that? The scriptures are very clear, right? These aren't instructions from Ikea where you have to follow the little cartoon man, right, to put the desk together. I think this is the right screw. I'm not sure. It looks just like the other one, right? No, these, script, these scriptures, these instructions are super clear. This is word for word, very clear to us as God's people. We must live on mission. We must live 
every day on mission for Jesus and share his good news with a lost, broken, hurting world that needs to be rescued. So how do we do that? You know? That's the why. That's why we need to take this serious, because God takes this serious. But the million-dollar question is how, right? How do we really reach people for Jesus? What do we do? You know, here at Kernan, we believe the best way to live for God on mission every day is as we go. What do we mean by that? As we go about our normal, everyday lives. That's the best method. The best method for reaching your neighbor with the good news of Jesus is for you to be the ambassador. For you to be the person who reaches out and says, I will listen. I will have lunch with you. I will have coffee with you. I'll take the time in my calendar to get to know you because I want you to be rescued. I want you to know the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of God, the freedom that comes in trusting Jesus, the rest and joy that you can experience. I want you to know that because I care about your soul. I care about your eternal destination. That's what Jesus is calling every single Christian to, to live on mission, not for yourself, right? Not for ourselves, not for some greater organization in this world, but just for Christ himself who gave up his life for us. As Jesus has given up his life and sacrificed himself for us, can we not make sacrifices in our daily schedules and routines to help reach others? So as we think about what that looks like in our church here at Kernan, and in our personal lives, it's helpful to think of this mission, to think of living on mission for God in really two ways, two aspects, you could say. So we want to witness as we go here at Kernan in an organized way, but also in an organic way. So, so let's talk briefly about what it looks like organizationally, right? And as an organized witness, in other words, this is the collective effort of the church, right? So when we come together as a church, we say, hey, we want to we wanna help and, and we want to do these things, right? And so when we say organized, we mean these are the ministries, these are the organizations, right, that we want to help serve, that we want to give to financially, that we want to go on mission trips to, like things like that, right? And so that's important. We need that organized sense of mission because it's great to serve together. It's great when we come together and pool our resources and our time, we can make a huge impact, right? We really can. We can make a really big impact in different areas of Jacksonville and beyond if we come together collectively in an organized manner. And so we want to do that. We want to be salt and light in this city. Now, we can't reach everybody in Jacksonville, but we're called to reach the people who do live around the church right here in Jacksonville. We're called to reach them. We're called to reach the people that live around you, wherever you live in this city, right? 
Just draw a circle, right? A mile or two radius around where you live. There you go. Boom. That's your mission field. But organizationally, as a church, we want to do the best we can to truly be salt and light, to work for the betterment of our community, for the betterment of our city. Don't you want to see our city thrive? Don't you want to see people come to know Jesus? Well, guess what? Let's do that together. So, so here is a list of people and organizations that we've helped either financially uh, by, or by serving them. We've sent teams right throughout the year to serve some of these people in different ways. And so these are just, again, you can flip, flip back to the previous side of, slide if you don't mind. Yeah, so like those, most of those right there are local, right? All of those are local. So those are local organizations that we have helped serve, right? And we continue to build relationships with. All right, so the next slide. So some of these, some of that's local and some of that's state level, some of that's international, right? And so these are just the opportunities around us that we as a church come together and say, hey, let's serve together. Let's help. Let's be salt. Let's be light to this world as Jesus commanded us to do. So we're very glad we are able to serve these groups in these ways and these people, these missionaries, right? We want to make, we want to make a real impact in the lives of those in our city and beyond. And so that's the organized collective effort, right? So that's one type. That's one way. And, and maybe, right, maybe when you think of the word missions, that's what you think of, right? You think of, oh, yeah, the International Mission Board, right? So we give money and an offering. We pray for missionaries. We may go on a trip, things like that, right? So maybe that's what you think is the more organized effort. But what I want us to actually spend more time on today is talking about the organic effort. How do we witness as we go organically? In other words, how do we live on mission in our daily rhythms and routines? That's really what we're asking here. That's what it means to have the more organic effect of witnessing for Christ. It's just your normal daily routines, wherever you live, wherever you go, whatever you do, however you spend your time, whoever you spend your time around, guess what? Like I said, that is your mission field. That's where God has put you. That's where he has orchestrated events and relationships and people to be in your life so that you can reach them with his good news. Do you think about your life that way? Isn't that kind of weird to think of it that way in a way, you know? Maybe not weird, but just not normal. How many of you go to work thinking, Oh man, can't wait to get to work and you know get to know so and so. Man, he's really not that nice, but I just want to win him to Jesus. You know, like it's probably it's more like I want to send him to see Jesus. You know, like that's like you don't want to. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of difficult, right? Sometimes it is. But here's the thing: the reality is, God has called you, Christian. God has called you to really make a difference in this world for his glory, not yours. You know, in our Kern and Equip class last semester on Wednesdays, on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday nights, we discussed and we talked about this, uh, or we went through a book called Life on Mission. And so I want to share with you some of the truth uh, from that book by Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe. They co-authored the book, and it's just an incredible book. I highly recommend this. If you want to learn more about what it looks like to really just live your daily normal routines that you're already doing for Jesus, right? So a big part of the book that they talk about is, listen, 
you know, a lot of us think, oh, well, if I'm going to try to, you know, win people to the Lord, that's just like one more thing on my calendar, right? And all of our calendars are full, aren't they? Well, no. Look at the calendar you already have. Are there not other humans interacting in those places? Right? The places and the spaces that you spend your time already, there you go. So in other words, it's not about adding something to the calendar. It's about a change of mind. It's about the way you see the people around you. Do you walk past them? Do you ignore them? Do you not greet them? Or are you being proactive and looking for opportunities to get to know people who don't know Jesus? You see, in the book, Dustin and Aaron say this, and I want to share some of this with you because it's just really good and it's really practical, all right? So if you're taking notes today, hey, if you're not taking notes already, get something and jot this down or take out your phone, right? Don't get on Facebook, just take out the note app. Here you go, all right? Identify. They talk a lot about identifying someone in your circle of influence, right? Your sphere of influence that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you're not sure, right? So, so maybe it's your next door neighbor and you know, you guys are cordial. You say, hey, when you're both taking out the trash can and that kind of stuff, but you haven't really been proactive in getting to know them. And so maybe it's that person. Maybe it's your next door neighbor or maybe they live in the same apartment building as you and you just never really talk to them. You just kind of say, hey, and move on. So you don't know if they're a Christian or not. You have no clue, right? You go, out to le- you go out to lunch after church, and so when you get home, their car's in the driveway, so you don't know. Maybe did they go to early service? Or whatever they go? I don't know, right? You don't know. And that's okay that you don't know for now. So just get to know them. Start building a friendship with them in some way. It's going to start with probably just little short conversations. So in other words, Aaron... Uh, Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe say this. They say, as followers of Jesus, our job is to identify people in our sphere of influence and share the gospel with them. So do you know your neighbors? Listen to this statistic. This is kind of mind-boggling. 28% of Americans do not know a single one of their neighbors, while 29% say they just know some of them. So essentially, more than half of Americans don't know their neighbors really well at all. Take a walk around your neighborhood. Take a walk around your apartment complex, right? Introduce yourself. Be friendly. Think of your actual neighborhood or apartment, but also, right, think of your workplace. Think of your coworkers. How many of them do not know Jesus? Think of other friends from other activities that you're involved in, or maybe you're a parent, and when you're at your kid's ball game or your kid's practice or their recital, whatever it is, take the time to introduce yourself and talk to someone else. Introduce yourself, right? Get to know them. So in other words, identify someone that God has already put in your life. And then the second thing we do is invest. Once you've identified someone and you're not sure of their salvation, Invest in their life. Just get to know them. Get to know the people you've identified, right? And and just be proactive. So maybe it means at Christmas time baking cookies and taking them to your neighbor and just with a little Christmas card saying, Merry Christmas, hope you have a great holiday. Maybe it's that simple. Maybe that's the open door, so to speak, where you can start to build a conversation with them over time. 
Right? Maybe it's just sitting next to the other parent at the ball game and saying, hey, I'm Andrew, what's your name? There you go, right? It is really that simple, but man, we tend to be so self-centered. We want to be so private. We don't want to open our hearts and our lives to other people. And we stay so much on our technical devices and keep our heads down, zoned in to our own little worlds when the world around us is hurting. Jesus said, go, make disciples. We invest in their lives. In other words, just build connection points with them and become friends with them. Take the time to talk. Ask them out to lunch or coffee. Guess what? Maybe you can ask them over to dinner at your house. And you don't have to give them some kind of sales pitch. Hey, uh, you know, here's the, here's the roast. Um, hey, if you were to die today, do you, know, like, you don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be so immediate and shocking. Just listen to them. Get to know them. Ask them questions about their own life. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have a friend from there. Just build connection points. You know why? Why are we talking about this organic method of getting the good news of Jesus out there slowly over time as we make friends and get to know people? Why is that a better method, in my opinion? Because I agree with the authors of Life on Mission. They say we are more likely to listen to and trust something a friend tells us than something a complete stranger communicates to us. Amen? What's more effective? The sales pitch and then just wishing them good luck and never seeing them ever again, or the slow method over time, having conversations, building a friendship, building trust. And then the third I that they share is this, inviting them to know Jesus. That is the goal, absolutely. But we don't have to rush to it. We have to do it at the right time. And maybe, yeah, you know what? Maybe the right time is five minutes into your first conversation ever. It absolutely could be. But you're going to have to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit and pray for wisdom in that moment that the Lord would give you the right words. But it might take a dozen. It might take a few dozen. It might take a thousand little conversations with someone before you're able to really introduce them to the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's okay. Because every little conversation and all those little moments and minutes that you sacrificed where you could have been doing something else, wouldn't it be worth it? If it takes a year, if it takes five years getting to know your neighbor, but one day you lead them to know Jesus as their Savior, and then they start coming to church with you, and then they get involved, and they join a community group, and they start learning about the Bible and reading about Jesus, and then guess what they do? They go out and they start trying to get to know people and introducing themselves to their coworker and they do the same thing. And do you see the design of the Great Commission? It is a multiplying effect when we go, when we proactively go out in this world and we seek to make friendships with the lost and the hurting and the needy and we go to them and say, I want to be your friend. I want to listen and I want to share something with you. That is how the kingdom of God increases. It's not when we have bigger, better events. I can't wait for the cornhole tournament and to beat all of you in it, okay? Probably not going to happen. But let me tell you something. As great as an event is, 
At the end of the day, it's about personal relationships and how we're trying to get to know other people. That is God's design for the kingdom, the church, to grow. You know, in the real world, I'm not saying this is easy by any stretch. It's not. There are challenges. There's going to be difficulties. Boy, is it worth it. So if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, you know that we've, we've asked a couple of people to come up on stage and to interview them and just kind of say, hey, share your thoughts about this topic, right? So we interviewed Kyle about worship. Right, last week we interviewed Ronnie and John about community. Well, hey, today uh, I'm going to interview two more people, um, and that is Lolly Hutton and Charles Cox. We're going to talk about what it looks like to witness. So, Lolly, Charles, come on up. Can you give you guys them a hand? <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good, doing well. Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm excited. It's a little hot up here, though. <laughs> well, hey, guys, thank you so much for being willing to be interviewed today. Um, so I know both of you want to be a witness for Christ, and that's why I asked you guys specifically to, uh, to come up today. I, I know you have that heart. I know you have that desire to do that. Um, I've seen that in you both. And so the point of this interview is uh, not for you guys to like set, oh, look at this perfect model, be like Lolly, be like Charles, but really just to share your heart, to share your heart, your struggles, maybe your fears, your challenges, what works, what doesn't work with everyone else. So we can all kind of get an idea like, hey, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets practical. So Charles, I'll start with you. Uh, and I want to ask, has it, been, has it been relatively easy you would say, or more difficult to identify someone who doesn't know Jesus, a non-Christian in your spheres of influence? I, um, I would say the hard part's my own sinful fear and scaredness, um, but I try to remember uh, not to be ashamed of the gospel. And one thing that I found is very helpful for me is I'll just ask somebody, are you a church-going person? And what that does, I can see from their answer right? Does this person shy away? Does this person um, express a doubt, right? Or if they say they go to church, where do they go? Like, they, then they, I understand kind of a baseline of what they believe. And so, um, yeah, that's my answer. That's good. That's good. So, Lolly, what, what are some insights or maybe practical help uh, that you took away from our equip class last semester on Wednesday nights? You participated in um, you know, we talked about living on mission in our everyday lives, and I just shared some of the truth from the book there. But what, what's some practical help you took away from that class? Um, you know, one of the things that really resonated with me and I think would resonate with others um, and kind of uh, witnessing to others is um, I hear it a lot from, like, just walking through the store, going to work. Um, you hear people saying, you know, I would never make it to heaven, if anybody knew what I was doing or what I've done, I would never make it into heaven. Um, and then that's like a great opportunity to share the bad news and the good news, right? So the bad news is that you're right. There's <laughs> nothing you can do to earn salvation or win yourself a place in heaven. But the good news is that somebody's already done that for us, right? Amen. Jesus has already um, been sent by God here to live with us on earth, um, and then to sacrifice himself for our sins. Yeah. 
And so we've been saved already. There's nothing that you have to do or you, there's no good way to be in order for you to, you know, um, be saved. Yeah. And so. that's, and, and for someone hearing it that put that way, right, for the first time, maybe they're coming from a religious background where they think that, well, you know, going to church, right, or participating in certain things at church, you know, kind of earns me a good status with God. But maybe hearing it for the first time that way, it may could truly be groundbreaking, right? And that's where we talk about the Holy Spirit coming in and, and really, you know, helping them understand that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so both of you, I want to ask this. As we think about this great calling and this responsibility we all have as Christians to be a witness for Jesus in this world, it can be intimidating, right? <laughs> like, I mean, let's be real. It can be scary to know that we've been given this responsibility. It's a lot to bear in a way. Um, so can you guys just speak candidly, what, what's a real fear or maybe a real challenge that you guys see in your own experiences when it comes to witnessing for Christ? Charles, you can go first. Yeah, so I, um, I have two fears. Uh, my first fear is my life doesn't show uh, fruit, right? So I'm not a, uh, not a strong ambassador because my life doesn't support that. The uh, second fear I have is that I lose a relationship, right, for trying to push the gospel on somebody, for trying to save them in my own strength. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. That's real fear for sure. I think a lot of people probably resonate with both of those. Yeah, Lolly? Uh, for me, it's probably not so much a fear, but more of a challenge. Um, I'm a pretty outgoing person. I like to speak to everyone. However, I'm very private um, as far as the deep um, you know, stories that I have and, you know, the trials and tribulations that I've had in my life. Um, I don't tend to share that with people that I don't know. Um, and this is kind of like something that I know I have to do now, you know, so that's kind of a challenge. Yeah. And again, goes back to the method, you know, that's why we want to get to know our people, right? The more we get to know them, the easier it is, you know, to talk about those deeper uh, life issues and problems. So, follow-up question to that, <laughs> uh, how do you fight against those fears and those challenges? Like, what are you doing to overcome those? Yeah, so for the first one, the fear of not showing fruit, is it's a great motivator to follow Jesus and spend time with him. For the second fear of losing a relationship um, because of the gospel is for me to act humbly and not try to save somebody in my own strength but to listen to the Holy Spirit, um, to his guidance on, on what I should do. That's good. Uh, the way that I would overcome that challenge of being so private is recognizing the ultimate um, reason why we're doing this, right? Um, it's not for me, it's not for glorifying me, but for glorifying God, mm -hmm. you know, essentially. Um, so that's how I would choose to do it. And another thing is that you know, he, it says um, in the Bible, you know, he who God sends, he equips, hmm. right? It's good. It's really good. So could each of you, and this will be the last question, but could each of you share a little bit about how you are currently investing in someone's life and hopes of leading them to the Lord? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I have identified a, a few friends that aren't Christian, um, and so we do a couple things. One thing we've um, been doing is being very intentional when we pray at mealtime to include them in the prayer. So we're, we're praying for them frequently. Uh, the second thing 
is generating and then building an authentic relationship with them. Um, a lot of them, they're in the same, same life stage we're in, so there's a lot for us to connect on um, and then listen to the spirit from there. That's good. What about you, Lala? Uh, for me, um, mine's a little more specific. Um, I have a friend that I've been friends with for like 25 years. You know, like throughout life, like we've kind of led similar lives. And here over the past like five years, we've kind of grown a little bit apart. So here um, I see that she doesn't go to church. You know, she's not really, she knows that God exists, but she does far from that. Like she doesn't really do much else. Um, but now I have to be intentional about scheduling time to meet with her because I do see that she's struggling as far as like um, physically and like um, emotionally with um, having peace and joy and hope for the future. Um, So that's like a good opportunity for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, thank you guys so much uh, for just sharing, you know, your heart and just practically, you know, some things that God's doing in your life to open doors and opportunities to share the hope of Jesus with others. Um, I think we're all encouraged by that. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. So, hey, just as as you've heard now from Charles and Lolly, you know, there's no no perfect way to do this. I mean, it's just going to depend on who you're trying to reach, who God has put in your sphere of of influence and, you know, what are their needs, right? You just have to listen. And, and I just love how Charles and Lolly both are, are listening, right? They're listening to those around them, and they're letting the Lord lead them. We can do that. We can all do that. What an amazing opportunity we have, you know? It's so cool, isn't it, that God has chosen us to be a part of this mission? We don't have to sit on the sidelines. We don't have to sit on the couch and just be narcissistic and zoned into our own little worlds, there is a world out there that Jesus wants us to reach. He has called us to reach. Can we do that, church? Yes, because we have the Holy Spirit of God. He is the power for the witness.